The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Pat Gray. I'm sitting here naked right now under these clothes. Yeah, he is actually. And I don't care for it. <laughs> I am, uh, and I don't want to have to create this image in your head. So uh, you may want to turn down the radio for a second. But I am stark raving naked under these clothes. People are looking at me yeah. right now as I sit here naked under these clothes. Yeah, don't look at me when you're saying this, man. <laughs> Freak. Pat Gray. Weekdays, noon to 3 Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Boy, the weeks go quick. This week, I'm back to you in Phoenix, Arizona, our hometown, and uh, back from London. It was great talking to you from London, productive gathering and uh, talks on building a transatlantic network on counterterrorism with the Henry Jackson Society, but um, so much to talk to you about, so little time. Where's our strategy? Where's our offense? Yes, yes, ladies and gentlemen, another attack. Another attack has left us scratching our heads. And yet, New York again. Thankfully, thank God, the only person injured significantly was the suicide bomber, the homicide bomber himself, a Mr. Akayed Ullah, 27-year-old Bangladeshi American who... Came to the United States in 2011, February 2011. I'll remind you that's a month after the Arab Awakening. And he had nothing to do with the Arab Awakening. Bangladesh didn't even have a revolution. It's a quasi-secular democracy. But it has been one of the front lines in the global battle between the struggle for democracy, the struggle for secularism, for individual freedom, versus theocracy, Islamists, militant Islamists, and Sharia state laws and beliefs. I'm not sure how that plays into Allah yet, but uh, we can only assume it's pretty obvious based on his social media footprint. This guy had all the right patterns as it already is looking that uh, he was obviously anti-American. Uh, he, he posted on social media that uh, this was to prove to Trump that America is not safe. Imagine the logic of these deranged theocrats, these deranged Islamists who commit an act because they're free to roam around. They don't live in the police states that their parents came from, though Bangladesh is not one of the worst police states in the in the Muslim world. But yet it's not necessarily a democracy when it comes to rule of law with little checks and balances at times. But at the end of the day, this individual decided to act to prove himself and prove the mantra wrong that America's free. America's a place that he could have practiced. We can practice our Islam more than we can in any so-called Muslim country. And yet this individual was an enemy of the state, was at war with the state, believed he lived in the land of war 
while Muslim countries that are majority Muslim are the land of Islam. And thankfully, didn't even have enough intelligence to put together a suicide belt or a pipe bomb that ended up blowing off his own pelvis. Now he's recuperating, and in some ways, there is some gifts here, and that often after San Bernardino, after Orlando, with Omar Mateen, and with each of the attacks, the perpetrator's dead. The perpetrator is on his way to hell. He thinks he's on his way to 72 versions, but he's obviously, those of us God-fearing Americans believe they're on their way to hell. But this individual is going to be talking to police. So we'll find out what his exact pathway, whose communications were. But we're already learning how he got radicalized by who's speaking as apologists. And I'm going to get to that. You won't believe, ladies and gentlemen, you will not believe the statement that came out of leading American Muslim organizations, supposedly initially condemning, but spending most of their time actually indicting the American justice system within hours, within hours of a suicide attack, attempted attack on the Port Authority in New York. So Akayadullah decided to, in the busiest time of the week, on the Monday morning, around 8 o'clock, 8.30, under the Port Authority transit area, decided to try to set off his bomb. Now, it went off on a platform where there were only a few people near him that had minor injuries were affected. He was the only one thankfully affected because his bomb went off prematurely. Cuomo said that Allah learned to make the bomb online. Governor Cuomo said there are people who come from overseas, they live here, they're disgruntled. Cuomo described him as disgruntled. Who went to the scene of the crime? Ulama Ullah was influenced by violent Islamist extremists and was angry, Cuomo said. And he said it could be for a number of reasons. So, on and on, the details will still come out. We're scratching our head. We're continuing to play defense. We're doing the analysis. People are being quoted. Oh, his family are such nice people. How did this happen? They seem so nice. He had a good job. He wasn't poor. He didn't do it because he was jobless. His parents seemed so moral. Should remind this bombing, should remind America that while we're winning the battles in Syria and Iraq on the ground against ISIS, and they're on the verge of being decimated because finally the DOD is being able to do its job that Obama had hamstrung and handcuffed them from doing the battle against the ideology of global jihadist and Islamic State ideas is not dependent on landmass or territory. And in fact, the caliphate idea, caliphism, is a consciousness globally of a Sharia state mentality. So any individual Muslim that believes and the supremacy of the Islamic State is fodder for radicalization. can be very quick. They can go from being nonviolent supremacists to being operationalized by online jihadi pamphlets, by magazines, by someone that stimulated them to say that Trump is 
uh, X, Y, and Z, so he wanted to prove them wrong. Whatever it is, the final radicalization, which is all we're spending most of our security time on, can happen within a matter of days. But the initial pathway, as we're seeing already with Allah, was a few years of Islamization, of the Islamism. So in order to win, we must go on the offense. This attack should remind us that we can only keep plugging the holes in the hole of the ship for so long. That offense should include advancing the ideas of secular liberal democracy into Muslim communities domestically in our cities, coast to coast. Offense. The Islamists are moving their ideas of what? Conspiracy theories? Anti-Americanism? Anti-Semitism? Footnote. Jerusalem and all the protests. As this bomb went off, Arabs had been protesting in New York for days, with days of rage, days of anger about Palestine and Jerusalem. So the president underscores our longstanding policy from the House and the Senate, and every president who ran in their campaign promised to make Jerusalem the capital, recognized as the capital of Israel, and now a president finally does it, states the obvious, for whatever reason, and they're apoplectic. The peace process is over. Trump can never be involved. America can never be an even arbiter. Because, oh, forget the fact that the Knesset is in Jerusalem. Forget the fact that the Supreme Court of Israel is in Jerusalem. Forget the fact that every ministry of the Israeli government is in Jerusalem. That's their self-declared capital. That doesn't matter. We are now responsible for radicalizing the Islamists because our president uttered words that he meant rather than words of a political campaign. Words that he meant that it was going to become the capital. And by the way, he then went ahead and signed a waiver for another six months that would prohibit the move of the embassy to the capital. But it's supposed to happen in the next three years, according to Secretary Tillerson. So that is something the Arab Muslims are demonstrating about. But no, 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 don't demonstrate about the Islamist ideas that radicalize and attack our own country. Our nation is under siege by radical Islamists. Now, they'll give you numbers. Oh, he didn't kill anybody, just minor injuries. We're exaggerating it. But this is a symptom. These are symptoms of a deeper disease. Are they going to pay attention or not? This is not only Muslims in America. This is a global problem that runs huge nations from the Islamic Republic of Iran and Saudi Arabia and Egypt and Pakistan. On and on. These are major cauldrons of radicalization. And their ideas are coming here through chain migration, through so many different holes that shouldn't be blocked by blocking human beings in general that are Muslim from coming, but by blocking ideologues that are Islamists. So if they believe in freedom, if they love America, if they want to be free, believe in capitalism, believe in our system of governance and our constitution, God bless them, come here, be free, join the laboratory to spread liberty abroad. Yes, that's the offense that we need, is to spread liberty abroad, to spread it into Muslim communities that come here, and that would be the only obstacle to stop the spread, the da'wah of Islamism into the West. You can't just be on defense to 
plug this hole, hit this whack-a-mole there and there and there with our security apparatus that looks for their violent extremism, whatever that is. No, we need to push forward in an offense of our ideas evangelically, not in a religious way, but in a political liberating, liberating way to evangelize the ideas of freedom abroad where every faith, every human being that believes in American freedom and liberty and universal human rights can help us spread those ideas. When we come back, I want to tell you what the Council on American-Islamic Relations said. Something horrific that their attorney in New York said a few hours after this suicide bombing attempt at the Port Authority. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. I'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. Hopefully you'll find here a voice of freedom, a voice of liberty, a voice of a Muslim courageous enough to take on the actual front lines of the battle, the ideas that are actually the ideas at stake that identify who we are as Americans and identify the enemies who are Islamists. Here on Reform This, we do this week to week. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you learn something. Tell your friends about the program and come back. I was talking to you about what the repulsive Council on American-Islamic Islamist Relations said after Mr. Ullah tried to commit an act of war against American citizens. By the way, it wasn't just Trump he was trying to prove wrong. He he was upset at Christmas decorations that were at the bus seats and the bus and subway terminals. Guy's clearly anti-Christian, anti-Semitic, anti-American. The ideas are obvious that radicalize them. But yet, the whole time we talk about radicalization, all we're talking about is whether they're violent Oh, he didn't say anything extreme. He never talked about suicide belts. He never talked about killing anybody. Oh, forget the fact, though, that he talked about the gay community like he was talking about animals. Or forget the fact that he talked about women like he was talking about slaves. Forget that. Forget the fact that he talked about America like he was talking about Hitler. These obvious ideas of Islamist supremacy that hates America, hates women, hates the gay community, hates Jews, those are easy ideas that we should be following public footprints for. Don't need to violate their privacy. This stuff's public. So you take a list of names of folks that may be known to authorities, the known wolves, and then you cross-match that with ideas that are markers of Islamism. 
anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism, anti-Americanism, anti-American military ideas, conspiracy theories. Those are the five hallmark areas. So care. What did they say? I'll give you the quote in a second, but only hours after the attack, they had the temerity to remind Americans about the justice system that was being proven to be the problem and the truth about it which was yet to come out. That was their statement of their attorney, Mr. Albert Cohn. They wanted to remind Americans and lecture us about the verbiage and attitude of America. That is the problem. Yep, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm not making this stuff up. So what did they say? What did they say? Well, this quote might as well be from the Muslim Brotherhood Global Leadership Office. Albert Fox Khan, the legal director of the Council on American Islamic Relations in New York, appeared. This is from ABC7, by the way, in New York. This is not some far-right synopsis of what he said. He said, in a prepared statement on behalf of the Ullah family, speaking on behalf of the Ullah family. So here you have again, just like San Bernardino, care all of a sudden within hours becoming the spokespeople for the family of terrorists. How is it that I'm an activist Muslim? I don't see any families of terrorists calling me to represent their families in order so that they not be discriminated against a few hours afterwards. Because obviously not that the families are terrorists, but they probably have ideas that are sympathetic to Islamism, that are hateful of America, and they know exactly why their son got radicalized. So they hire, just like the ACLU works to defend rapists in order to defend our justice system. Families of terrorists say, you know what, let's get care. They're separatists, they hate this country, but, you know, uh, they're Muslim first, so they'll defend us. What does he say? On behalf of the family, Khan said, said, we are heartbroken by the violence that was targeted at our city today and by the allegations being made here against a member of our family. So the heartbreak ended at the comma, and this is what comes after. By the allegation, allegations, the guy had a belt around him, and his gonads were blown off. But we are also outraged by the behavior. We are outraged also by the behavior of law enforcement officials who have held children as small as four years old out in the cold and who held a teenager out of high school classes to interrogate him without a lawyer, without his parents. These are not the sorts of actions that we expect from our justice system. And we have every confidence that our justice system will find the truth beyond this attack and that we will in the end be able to learn what occurred today. Thank you for your time. Oh my God, for the love of God. That is the quotes of an enemy fascist. That's like the the, the Soviet Politburo press secretary speech after a Cold War attack from some Soviet spy in the United States. And we're not in a Cold War against Islamism? Are you kidding me? And by the way, on Twitter, they went ballistic 
Rightfully so, Americans went ballistic. Even the left, Montel Williams, had a tweet out, which he sheepishly then deleted. I supported you, Care, before, but this is too far. I'm done, he said. He said he's done. And then the spineless jellyfish removed it. He He deleted the tweet. What is wrong with these people? Do you need, as if we needed more evidence that care is an Islamist insurgency and their leaders are Islamist insurgents who are separatists that hate this country. This quotation basically says that, oh, forget the fact, and never mind the fact that the suicide bomber just tried to slaughter people. We're upset that children were taken out of class. Does care not realize that? Our authorities didn't know if there were this guy had siblings, if he had uh, uh, five or six other cell operatives that, as we saw in Belgium, as we saw in France, as we saw in Europe and Germany and elsewhere, the cells operate three, four at a time, and there could have been attacks coming within a few hours. I'm sorry. There's no time to pull a kid out of a, a, a geography class on at 9 a.m. and ask him where his brother is or his sister is or if he knew what his family member was doing. I think it's normal operating procedure. And by the way, we don't even know the details. They couldn't even wait. I mean, even with the ACLU defense rapist, you hear about it two, three weeks later once they get the facts. It's absurd. This is what we – and by the way, this all got released and was covered by – the Daily Caller was covered by Fox and a few others, but basically CNN and others ignored, MSNBC ignored, New York Times ignored how their go-to Muslim organization was functioning under treasonous insinuations as separatists. They are offensive. Mr. Khan is offensive to American Muslims, to Americans. And the bottom line is, as I was telling you, that we need to go on the offense because this statement, set aside how offensive and separatist and treasonous I think it is, set that aside. At the end of the day, this is how Muslims are radicalized. You wonder where the ullahs of the world come out of? The pool they're swimming in is CARES pool. It's the Islamic Society in North America's pool in which America's the enemy, the justice system for trying to keep us safe, for countering Islamists, is the enemy. They're the ones beating kids, just like the, the pictures they spread of Israeli soldiers, many of which are photoshopped and, and uh, contrived in order to demonize the state of Israel in order to demonize American support of the state of Israel. This is exactly the, the, the information ops that they deal under. This is how Muslims are radicalized. So exhibit A, ladies and gentlemen, of radicalization was shown not only by the fact that we had yet another Muslim from another country that came through chain migration, not through ideological vetting, but chain migration. 
Another hole in the ship. We saw the San Bernardino folks from Pakistan and India. We saw Saipov, the uh, truck killer, a month or two ago through New York and Manhattan, was from Uzbekistan. We've seen from Chechnya. We've seen them from Syria. We've seen them from Egypt. We've seen them from Yemen. We've seen them from Pakistan. On and on. So it's unrelated to whether they know a dang thing about Syria or Iraq. This guy wanted to join ISIS. He probably didn't even know what ISIS stood for in Arabic or what the cause was. But he hated America. He believed in Islamic supremacy. He wanted to become a jihadi. He believed in Salafi jihadism. So yeah, we can continue. You Go ahead, continue your whack-a-mole program. But until you start demanding that Muslims play offense, Muslims start defending and wanting to die for American ideas, Muslims start giving sermons, not about American demonization, not about Israeli demonization, but about the need to reform, about the need to be proud of living in the freest country on the planet, about the need to want to join the American military to kill to kill militant Islamists that, that threaten our security? Yes, to defend this nation. We should not be ashamed to say that fighting wars against the Taliban, against the Islamists, against ISIS are righteous. Just like fighting a war against Assad, a fascist genocidal thug, is righteous. When we come back, I'm going to talk to you about the latest narrative coming out of Assadist propagandists. It's absurd. It's offensive. It is offensive. They're trying to tell us that, well, look, ISIS is on the way out. You guys said it couldn't be done with Assad and power. It's being done with Assad and power. So therefore, your whole narrative that Assad and ISIS are linked is absurd. <laughs> Americans are saying this. So-called Rand Paul buddies and Ron Paul friends and so-called libertarians are actually pushing forth fascist ideology promoting like a guy by the name of Sammy Youssef on Twitter who follows me and and uh, called me a clown because I didn't believe that Assad was a secular independent Democrat absurd this is what American information discussion has become for many we go from fighting Islamists to defending fascist, secular Arabists that are also in bed with Iranian theocrats. This is Zuri Jess. We'll be right back on Reform This. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jesser. The Blaze Radio Network. the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. It's an honor to be with you. Always a pleasure to spend some time with you. Thank you for sticking with me and uh, hope you tune in every week. Podcast comes out uh, at noon Eastern on Saturdays. Uh, this week, so far, we've talked about the attack in New York by the Bangladeshi native who came to the United States seven years ago only to become a warrior for the Salafi jihadist movement globally and attack our country. The response of CARE, 
the Islamist separatists, the Islamist insurgents that are part of the radicalization problem and as they prove themselves to be today, right after the attack. But now I want to talk to you about this growing meme, this meme from the Russian propagandists, the Assadist uh, defenders who are beginning to say, well, the decimation of ISIS now in Iraq and Syria, Syria especially, is a sign that the neocons, quote unquote, those who believed that we should have invaded Syria, that those who were against Assad especially, said that ISIS can only be defeated if Assad is gone, that you can't do one without the other. Talk about idiocy. And the LA Times published this from some hack by the name of Max Abrams and his buddy at Cato, John Glazer, published a piece that said the pundits were wrong about Assad and the Islamic State. As usual, they're not willing to admit it. Seriously? So their point is that the Islamic State is a shadow of its former self. The extremist groups seem to be making substantial inroads in achieving its stated goal of a caliphate. It boasted tens of thousands of fighters and now has been rolling back. And then they go on to say that the model has always said that ISIS could not be defeated as long as Assad was in power. And now that it's rolling back with Assad there, with Putin still and Russia still involved in Syria, with Iran still in Syria, that the old narrative that one feeds the other has been proven completely false. And these are, Abrams is a so-called professor who might as well be a tool. I don't know if he is. Maybe he is on the payroll. Who knows? Of Assad or Putin. He claims he's not. But this tool, this apologist for genocide, who will have a, a little place in hell in the corner of the Syrian Holocaust Museum that we built someday, enshrining him, enshrining Joshua Landis and other professors that led the movement to protect the Arab Hitler, Bashar Assad, and his agents of the Ba'ath Party in Syria, who are today's war criminals. Hopefully they'll meet the same fate of Milosevic and the other Serbian war criminals. But these guys now are claiming that the fact that ISIS is on the run with Assad and Russia still there means that Assad's responsible. They're basically echoing the talking points of Putin last week who backslapped Assad and took credit for ISIS being on the run. When in fact, any rational human being with three brain cells functioning at the same time would admit that the clear inflection point was the departure of President Obama. That many of us said that the presence of Assad in Syria prevents the Syrians from being able to get rid of ISIS. The Syrians, that, that the Russians and Assad were so busy decimating the moderates, they could not get rid of ISIS, that it was radicalizing them, making them into jihadis, that ultimately Assad was protecting ISIS in order to give his regime and his, his genocidal criminal thugs the reasoning, the reason to continue to pummel his own community and bomb their hospitals and, and, and starve them in the way that Stalin did with the starvation pogroms that he did under his ruthless regime. And the Syrian Ba'athists learned their population control methods from the Soviets in the 20th century. So, to them, to the Max Abrams of the world, this whole debate is about neocons being wrong. And that somehow if we label 
those who believe that Esed is directly proportional to the power of ISIS, that they're related, even though we've seen arrests from the Department of Treasury of Arab Americans who were helping get money via Assad, via ISIS, in an interconnected network that was dependent symbiotically on one another. That has been proven. But no, ignore a lot of that. We can ignore the fact that Assad had jets, Russia had jets, and it took Obama to leave and our DOD to be run by General Mattis, who finally unleashed the DOD to do the job that they wanted to in a strategic way that they led operations that finally began to get Raqqa back, to get areas of Syria back that were under ISIS control. There's still a significant area of land under ISIS control, but they are definitely on the run. And in Iraq, where Assad isn't, is evidence that the, the this nonsense propaganda is BS. Because in Iraq, where we are able to deploy more troops, ISIS is even much more decimated. So the proportionality of the defeat of ISIS is related to American intervention. It has nothing to do with Putin or Russia. So then their response is, well, that proves that Putin and Russia had nothing to do with ISIS. Well, they're not going to take on the United States of America and start a war with us. Maybe they we, that was a concern, a valid concern. It still is. We're not exactly allies with Russia. But I don't think they're going to declare. We went through proxy wars in Vietnam and elsewhere, and yet we never directly went to war against Russian soldiers. So the logic of the Esed apologists is just unbelievable. And I had on Twitter a guy by the name of Sam Youssef who comes after me and says, oh, this this is just complete nonsense on how how, how you neocons always don't want to admit that a secular independent democracy was being run by Assad and it was tried to be decimated by ISIS and finally he's been able to rid his country of the ISIS threat. There was no ISIS until 2013. The beginning of the revolution was a legitimate, diverse rise of a nonviolent population against its ruthless military thugs, the Ba'ath. Syria's history is 60-plus years of Ba'athism since 1963 and since coups in the 50s that ultimately created a military authoritarian tyranny that has been in power now since that time. That is the story of ISIS, the cauldron that brewed ISIS. I talked about that in a piece for Georgetown a year or two ago. We've had some podcasts on that. And anyone who tries to deceive you, be smarter than that. Don't allow the propagandists for Putin, the propagandists for Assad to deceive you that somehow Assad has anything to do with the departure of ISIS. Look at what 60 Minutes reported last Sunday on what the, the, the physicians doing heroic work in Ghouta and elsewhere have to build hospitals underground, underground because the hospitals are being bombed. Listen to Nikki Haley and all the testimony she's given at the UN of the war crimes day after day being committed, use of chemical weapons, the bombing of hospitals, the the destruction of unarmed neighborhoods, masses, mass graves. 
while areas in Raqqa and elsewhere were untouched except by American bombs that were targeting ISIS. It is complete nonsense to now weave a narrative that the decimation of ISIS is led by Assad and Putin. I'm covering this on this show today because the first casualty of war is always the truth. So many wise people have said that. And as we go now into history, and history is being written about what happened in Syria, what happened in Iraq, we cannot allow the truth to disappear. 600,000 Syrians are dead. You have Joshua Landis, the other Esed tool out of Oklahoma, was trying to say that this is like the Civil War. Well, the American Civil War lost half a million people, as did the Syrian Civil War. He compared the evolution of a real democracy that finally rid itself of, of, indoct- of doctrinal slavery through the leadership of President Clinton and a victory of the North, he compares that to a heinous, tyrannical military regime that decimated an unarmed population as the world watched them use chemical weapons, as the world watched them use jets and tanks and other means to suppress the voice of their people and enslave them and torture them. And the crimes go on. It's not over. ISIS might disappear. There will be another permutation of them coming up soon. And some other radical Islamist form until you have a laboratory that, that, that does away with both forms of fascism, the theocratic Islamists and the Ba'athist, nationalistic, Arabist fascists. That has to be the way out. Both need to exit. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. We'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Pat Gray. Perhaps you could talk to her a little bit about uh, the latest trend in stress reduction on college campuses. Whoa, now. We seriously are missing out. We've got to buy some llamas. In this, for this building? We've got to buy some llamas for this yeah. business. We, we go, I mean, how many colleges in Texas? A lot. We ship those bad boys every campus in Texas for yeah. therapy llamas. Well, I, I think we need them in this building. Pat Gray. Weekdays, noon to 3 Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. You know, after the Ulla attack, it came out just like after the last attack with Sepal, how he came to the United States via a diversity visa had been wavered because of diversity and had had won a lottery, was part of the lottery process. Now we find out that Kayyadullah came here as a result of an extended blood relative that ultimately he had benefited from being related to previous family members that had come in. So I can't remember the exact family member, but it certainly wasn't a father or a son uh, that he had come to regroup with his nuclear family. 
but rather an aunt or uncle that then brought him in. And that's what chain migration is, is that um, a, a uncle, a cousin brings another in, then they bring in their nuclear family, then you bring in another aunt or uncle, and that leapfrogs every nuclear family based on extended family. The point in this program, I don't want to get too deep into the into the weeds of immigration policy, but the offense that I've talked to you about, the offense of reform, if we're going to let people in this country at least vet them for ideology. Genetics is not an ideological vetting. Just because somebody's genetically related or by marriage related, that is not a policy. Many of you, I'm sure, have people in your own family that are complete different sides of the political spectrum. No, I don't want the government doing political vetting. But heck, there's a contract, there's a social contract of American society that people need to accept by coming here or else they're going to be separatists or else they're going to be insurgents in that they're not going to believe in what it means to be equal before the law, in what it means to be in a legal system based on reason rather than sharia, in what it means to be truly invested in the system, whether you're 0.1% or 90% of the population as a faith group. So when you look at the pool of people coming, I'm sorry. Yes, it does make sense that once you have one individual come, his spouse should come with him or her. Or their, their son, who's five, should not be left behind. No, you don't want to separate nuclear families. That just doesn't make sense. Families, as we know in the military, we know also families travel together. You can't live countries apart. But aunts and uncles and siblings, adult siblings, don't need to always come together. They could be ideologically, diametrically opposed and separated. One may be an Islamist, the other may be a communist, the other may be a capitalist. I want the capitalist Democrat to come. I don't want the communist or the Islamist to come into the United States. I don't care if they're related or genetically connected. Or maritally connected. And if we can't build an immigration policy that ends chain migration, that ends diversity visas, that ends lotteries, that ends quotas, that ends ethnic determinations, immutable characteristics that get used as determinations of who should come into this country rather than what America really is, I'll remind you, America is an idea. If people embrace the idea, welcome to the American community. If they don't embrace the idea, bye-bye. You don't, you don't make it. You don't come through the filter. Now, can they lie? It's hard. If you do the interview correctly, and it takes a half an hour or 45 minutes, I think within a half an hour or so, you can... Interview somebody and get to know whether they truly believe and they're escaping persecution, tyranny, Islamism, and they're coming for freedom. It's hard to fake that. So there are ways to do that. I'll remind you last year I did the fake interview with the Muslim seeking, the immigrants seeking to come to the United States.
we need to have a better vetting process. We need to have an immigration policy that's led first and first and foremost by sharing our contract. And then a meritocracy. Are they going to come here to, to contribute to society or will they become a drain on society? We see in Britain and elsewhere, my God, they have, you know, Anjum Chowdhury, who now is serving finally time for, for his horrific ideas supporting ISIS and against Britain. He was making his money on welfare. The guy wasn't contributing to British society. And we see so many of the families of some of these that end up attacking the countries that are feeding them. They're not here to bring specific skill sets. They were coming as parasites. And then insurgents to to declare war on us, some of them. That's not the Muslim thing to do. That's not the British or the American thing to do. And it certainly shouldn't be something we let come under the guise of diversity and ethnic diversity and genetic chain migration. So, listen, every time a case happens, we find some other new little element to learn. That's the whack-a-mole educational approach. Now, are you going to join me and get an offense, a strategy? This needs a whole-of-government approach. So, State Department Immigration, ICE, uh, DEA, all, all the different departments need to begin to have an ideological approach to border control, to domestic security. And the Wall Street Journal raised the final point that I wanted to raise with you, which is, at the end of the day, remember, this guy didn't come here as a terrorist. Might have prevented the future terrorists from coming here. Yeah, so I think it's a valid point to talk about chain migration. But at the end of the day, when he came here, he wasn't radical. He was radicalized three or four years ago. He's been here for seven years. The radicalization process happened here on our soil in the United States of America. And I would submit to you that groups like the Council on American Islamic Relations, as I talked to you in the first segment, are part and parcel leaders of the radicalization process. These individuals feel estranged. They develop a hate and animus for this country. It's not, as the left would tell you, the fault of the right and President Trump and others. The Islamists are always going to find something to whine and complain about. Jerusalem, whatever it might be, they're going to complain about something. And say, that's why I'm so evil. I, I, that's why I hate your country, because you hate us. On and on the cycle goes. It's nonsense. The Islamists are supremacists. They believe in a Sharia state. The radical signs are known. They are a separatist idea. Look at the societies they are setting up where they run the show, as the Muslim Brotherhood did in Egypt, as Jamaat Islamiyah does in Pakistan and elsewhere. Those are the ideas that they bring with them. And then the fodder for political gamesmanship ends up becoming tools that they use for their Islamist insurgency. So if you're going to fight the Islamist insurgency, that's how you expose it. The core is their ideas. The core is their ideas, and the rest, be it whining about Israel, whining about Jerusalem, whining about American policy, whining about their kids getting pulled out of school, whatever it is, is all excuses to divert your attention, your eyes, from the real threat, 
which is political Islam and their Sharia state, and our real strategy, which should be advancing the ideas of liberty into Muslim communities domestically first. Remember, Ullah was radicalized. Ullah was radicalized here by his community, not online that operationalized him. He's radicalized here by his community. Who in the media, who in podcasts and in radio will talk about what radicalized him? It's probably, the story's already gone away. I hate to tell you, most of these stories appear to get the the amount of attention related to the number dead. That is a, a, a horrific sign on who we are as a country. We are at, at war. A guy straps a belt around him, and two days later, we're all obsessed about Roy Moore and all this. Other. Yeah, okay, fine, that's a big story, but how are we ignoring the threat? That's not who we are. I love this country. You love this country. We're under attack. The Islamists are continuing to spread their ideas. What are we doing to spread our ideas, to counter them? Nada. Zilch. Join me week to week where we will do this here as long as I'm breathing. I'll always bring you the truth, bring you the topics that few will want to cover, few will cover. Your friend, your patriot, your American. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. See you next week. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.